Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your co-host, Stephen Spector. And with me, as usual, is the infamous greatness, the one and only Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, <laughs> no, Rob. Good morning, Stephen. So uh, it's good to be back doing podcasts. I know we tried to restart it a few weeks ago, and we got some. And then everyone who said they wanted to do it suddenly went silent. I have roped someone in today, Rob, trapped him. He has no choice. And uh, we're back in the recording business. <laughs> Stephen will give you the key for the bear trap after you uh, complete the podcast. You don't have to saw your leg off or anything like that. Yeah, so, we, um, I'm, I, I put cheese and people just come in. I think is what it is. It's a trap for sure. Well, anyway, Rob, we have another uh, new podcast and I'm excited. We're in kind of a new area to talk about today, which is exciting. So let me go ahead and introduce our guest and we'll get started. So Mike Ranieri, and hopefully I said that, is a senior principal software engineering engineer at Dell. And I'll say EMC, Mike, just because I want to keep it all as, uh, you know, the logo has the Dell EMC and someday I think they'll put VMware underneath it. It'll be Dell EMC of VMware. I think that'll be the final. Well, Mike, welcome to the uh, podcast. Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. So, Mike, why don't you go ahead and give us a kind of quick overview about yourself, and then um, you can jump in with uh, Rob and talk about the uh, Redfish DT DMTF stuff, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So, uh, I started my career about 13 years ago at this point. Uh, I joined EMC, uh, writing manufacturing diagnostics utilities. From there, I, I made my uh, transition over to firmware, and I started getting involved in uh, enclosure management standards such as IPMI and Redfish. And uh, then I came over to Dell as part of the, the EMC acquisition. What does it look like to be, like, how does your career take a path to do standards? And, and actually, maybe we should step back and explain mm -hmm. what DMTF is a little bit and how a standards body is different than an open source body. Because I know we talk about open source all the time, but nowadays less about standards. Sure. Um, so the DMTF, um, their, their flagship standard right now is Redfish. They also have a few other standards that are probably lesser known, uh, such as SMBIOS and PMCI. Um, the standards bodies, uh, in, in my view, they, they tend to be a consortium of industry vendors that try to create some sort of agreements where you can level set uh, how different components operate together and uh, define standard interfaces so that way customers have flexibility in terms of what types of systems and uh, components they can, they can, uh, they can uh, incorporate in their data centers. As far as open source is concerned, that's, yeah. that's more of a, an implementation detail for, um, you know, how to, how is some software deployed? How do I implement potentially to a standard, uh, could be along those sorts of lines. In, in some ways, open source is sort of the opposite, right? You implement and then that becomes a de facto standard. In, as opposed to thinking about what you want, what you want to design first, and then letting letting everybody do different implementations, is that a fair? It is. Fair uh, I, I think in a lot of cases you'll find that there are standards involved in open source in terms of um, well, if you look at OpenBMC within the the OCP group, for example, they implement IPMI in Redfish. They get behind standards, but they're an open source implementation of a BMC firmware. That makes a lot of sense. And so does that mean that when you're building the DMTF spec, you're reliant on each vendor to do an implementation or do they have like a shared code base they can sort of jumpstart things with? 
Uh, it depends. Uh, some vendors, they do an implementation ground up. Others, they might outsource uh, work to a third-party firmware vendor that, uh, that their sole responsibility is to create an implementation for Redfish. Um, so it really depends on the scale of the organization uh, about, uh, in terms of what they want to uh, develop. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't a lot of uh, firmware really written um, and I'm thinking not just BIOS, but like RAID mm -hmm. firmware and other components like that. Those things are usually written just by one or two companies. Usually the company's doing the chips. Generally, yeah, especially, especially with um, uh, firmware for things like storage controllers, network cards. Yeah, it's, it's really consolidated over the last uh, decade or so with all the other acquisitions. And it's really a handful of players at this point. Right. But yet, I mean, there is a significant amount of variation. Do you want to start <laughs> getting get the Wayback Machine a little bit and, and go to the problem statement? Because, I mean, I, I'm assuming people listening to, and, and I want to be fair. So if you're listening to your, this podcast and you're like, I don't care about hardware, just, just skip. <laughs> um, you know, we're going we're gonna to cover that, uh, you know, because I do have a, a thing for hardware. But we're also going to talk about, you know, why it's hard and why we need standards and, 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 you know, so put on your, you know, if you're not interested in the hardware, we are going to talk through sort of the philosophical challenges of, of a spec, a spec versus implementation, you know, and the cost of having variation in industry um, but, and, and the benefit, right? there's, there's both sides. So with that framing, <laughs> sorry, Mike, I just gave away all my question, my lines of questioning, but um, do you want to go back a little bit and describe sort of where we were prior sure. to Redfish coming in and, and IPMI and, and vendor implementations? So I'll only go back as far as IPMI because prior to that, as far as I know, there there was really nothing as far as standards go for uh, for managing systems. And to be honest, that it also predates middle school for me. So it's a little <laughs> aged at that point. <laughs> um, IPMI goes all the way back to the first the first servers that we were racking, the, the non-mainframe servers, even, even back in the, the late 90s had IPMI. Yeah. Good. Rob, don't age us now. <laughs> Come on, Rob. I, I was racking servers uh, you know, uh, very early in my career. So um, IPMI uh, is, was really in a, a good attempt at trying to standardize a, an interface for how to do lights out management of your servers. Um, it's it was a, a ground up protocol. It really kind of developed all the little bits and bytes that um, pieced together all the types of requests. So it's its own proprietary format. It had its own uh, uh, UDP port assigned with its own uh, handshaking protocol for network connectivity. Um, it worked for a while. You can certainly do a lot of uh, standard operations, power on, power off. Um, dump your logs, uh, check your sensor readings. Um, and there's a bit of a scripting ecosystem around a, an off-the-shelf tool called IPMI tool that a lot of folks seem to have uh, taken advantage of. Um, it, as far as uh, scalability goes, IPMI was really limited to managing a single server. And if you wanted to grow your tool set for managing your data center, you really had to work in um, kind of an older style protocol for newer languages. So using IPMI and, and tools like Python and Go, it's, it's not really intuitive. And so that, that's where Redfish came along is um, we wanted to standardize on 
how do we do, use a uh, more modern methodology such as a RESTful interface with, uh, with modern representations of data, so JSON encoding of, of your payloads was, was seen as desirable? And how do you also design it in a way that it scales to managing multiple systems or a plethora of types of devices within, within, your, um, within, within your rack without having to uh, use uh, odd OEM extensions that uh, IPMI made a, a lot of uh, uses for? Yeah, this, and this is a really good example of where an industry group and, is, and a spec is really important. It's, it's not that servers are that different, right? I mean, there are actually, <laughs> there are legitimate differences between servers that, get it, that, that require different implementations, right? Is there, is there anything that comes to mind for you that would be like, you know, all right, I wish every server vendor could agree, but they don't. And here's, a, here's an example just for people to get a sense of legitimate variation. Oh, so I guess the prime example I, I see on a day-to-day -day basis is account management. Um, hmm. some, some vendors, they, they have requirements where they need to uh, be able to have a single database of user accounts that span all the different protocols they support. So having a consolidated IPMI, Redfish, um, web interface set of credentials that um, you know you create a user account on one interface and becomes available on, on all interfaces and the behavioral difference we see is that some implementations uh, because of how IPMI is structured with user accounts they create a set of slots in their user account list and instead of actually creating a new account with a post operation, what you actually have to do is you go through the account slots and then you patch an empty account slot. And so you, you don't really have the, the, the natural um, post and delete semantics for, um, for creating and deleting a user. You actually have to patch a user slot to create a Redfish user in that case. All right, I'm, I'm legitimately crying. <laughs> I know, now. it's, uh, I... And, and <laughs> I don't like it either, but it's. Uh... Well, the, but the, but here, but this this to me is the lesson that people should take away. And and I mean, you know, we do a lot of edge podcasts, and and you know, I'm in this huge edge debate right now about edge, um, you know, and, and what the edge is going to look like. And it's that way in part because firmware is really hard to program and incredibly limited. You know, you're back. You're back in the early days of. I don't have much RAM or I don't mm -hmm. have a lot of ways to control this stuff. Like the idea that you're going to show up and change something, especially something that's been in this firmware for 20 years. Um, it's naive. And so, exactly. you know, it, we're not just going to take something in the cloud where you can be like, Oh, I need a four gig server. I need 10, 12, I need 16 gigs. Just, you know, who cares? It goes on the boss's credit card. I don't care. <laughs> firmware's not like that. No, um, I I will have to say though the the hardware subsystems for for the firmware have grown quite a bit. The um the baseboard management controllers have gotten quite powerful over the last decade, and and they are kind of mini computer systems. Mm -hmm. But the firmware itself, in terms of you know the most vendors have a a large backlog of I need to carry forward this functionality I've had for twenty years, before otherwise uh, yeah. some customer is going to yell at me. Well, that's reasonable. The server, you know, you buy a server if it's in 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 life cycle for even four years, right? You still have to deal with that, and and programming to two different models is well, super hard. So exactly. 
So question, so why not do it the way operating systems do, right? I mean, Windows eventually says this version of, well, Microsoft says this version of Windows is no longer supported and you're done. Why not do it on hardware and end this 20 year thing? Well, I, this, the, same, uh, the same sort of problem came up in the, uh, in the NVMe working group where uh, there was a demand for folks to bring forward SES as a protocol because many, many companies had a 20 year investment in writing software around, um, around SES. And so uh, the NVMe group had to find a, they had to create a, a backdoor way of, you know, how do I transport SES over NVMe MI? So a lot of it is uh, lots of vendors. Uh, they have uh, they have a large customer base that uh, that is saying, you know, I've invested millions in this software. I, I can't just abandon it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and, and a lot of the stuff that we see is people implement. It's sort of like legacy versus UEFI BIOS. You you choose which you want when you when you install the machine, and then it'll and then it'll operate from that point. You know, you can, so you can sort of flip into legacy or, mm -hmm. you know, I guess IPMI or Redfish modes. Are people doing any parallel work or does that just undermine everything? Um, there is some parallel work um, being done between both IPMI and Redfish and it's largely a stopgap measure to say, you know, I haven't quite figured out how to transition uh, some of my uh, management functionality from IPMI to Redfish, so I need to use both for the time being, and that and that's uh, part of the feedback we're trying to um, to receive get from customers to say, you know, if you're still using IPMI and you haven't transitioned to, to Redfish, why is that, and what can we do to help you make that transition? Makes sense, and and this is it. This is really hard, right? Um, you know, I know we work hard to be heterogeneous, but if you've written scripts that do one thing, treating servers as, you know, distinct items become really tricky. And one of the things that we had a meeting uh, with, with the Redfish team, uh, this is probably what prompted me to ask Mike uh, to switch around the mic and, and uh, see, see um, ask some questions. How, how do we handle just even migrations within the Redfish spec? Because I know the spec is evolving. Yeah, the spec is evolving. Um, let's see how to handle migrations. Well, the, guess, the way I would I would frame it is uh, the way the spec is written um, is more in tune with how things should be. But at the same time, when we start finding nuances in behavior and uh, we find that shipping implementations may, might behave one way versus another, and when we make a clarification. Uh, usually, it's not a hard requirement to support the the new recommended language. It's 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 optional, but it's strongly encouraged. And we try to create a, a set of conformance tools to say, you know, we although it's not a requirement, we would like to encourage vendors to implement things a certain way. And so we might uh, write special tests around that to, to call folks out on that. That makes sense. So if there's a conformance process you could test your servers through that conformance and say yeah you're you don't you're not passing yeah. um send it back you know send it back don't send me a server that doesn't pass the conformance test from that perspective yeah um, yeah that's really that would be really important so you before a server shipped to you you could verify that it makes sense we you know i've done industry things like that it's super hard um because you have, you have to really have something that tests all the in infrastructure um how do you get agreement on, on what that test should be to make it complete enough? Well, uh, I'll be honest, it's it's not terribly complete right now. We we break it down into functional, 
areas where we've uh, seen interop challenges. Um, we have a, a task force that is dedicated to uh, producing and managing tools that are published by the DMTF. And as part of that, we, uh, we discuss, you know, what do we want to, especially when it comes to conformance tests, what do we want to test as far as um, how do we, uh, so we discuss in, uh, on those calls, what do we test as far as uh, functionality goes? What do we want to call out uh, as error conditions? Uh, what do we say is a good criteria for passing a test? And so largely uh, different vendors are on those calls. And so at least in the, uh, in the frame of the, the task force, we, we get some agreement uh, right then and there. Makes sense. Are there things that are especially hard to interrupt? Uh, Let's see, uh, uh, boot control, definitely. That's that's something we haven't really quite figured out how to test fully because if you think about booting or at least boot management, um, from a Redfish perspective, you can set your boot options. You can read them back and say, yep, I set them properly. I can go reset my system. But then how do you actually verify that the system booted from the desired target without uh, going through a non-Redfish interface? So it's, it's those sort, that sort of end-to-end -end testing that is a bit more complicated for, for us to solve. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. So, so the concern would be if you're in a conformance test, part of the test is, you know, you've read fit, you know, the vendor could say I did something. Um, actually, I know from experience, this happens all the time. <laughs> um, and it's not, not a Redfish thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a firmware thing. It says it did it. It didn't do it because it's, you know, you reboot the machine, it clears a buffer, and then all of a sudden it's back to what it, what it thought it was. Yeah, these are hard problems. Um, yeah, especially when you want to say something like, I want to do a Pixie boot. Well, how do you know that it actually booted to, a, to Pixie? You, you need to hook up a console and you need to watch, maybe do some uh, screen scraping, maybe interrogate the logs to say, yep, I was told to boot from Pixie and so I did, but what do those log messages look like from implementation to implementation? Uh, makes these are these are hard problems. Uh, yeah. Pixie is a pretty <laughs> invisible process for the most part. Um, people, that's one of the things that I think people don't appreciate is when you net boot something, just how much has to happen, sort of outside of your awareness um, before you know you get an operating system that can give you a real thumbs up. You know, it gets on the network in a real way. Uh, you can check DHCP leases, but. Anyway, now I'm getting way too wonky. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> so, so this makes a lot of sense. I guess where you know we're, we're talking about you know very pragmatic, you know, modernizing firmware interfaces. But I, it, I'm, I'm assuming there's a bigger vision of what Redfish could do if sure. you know the industry can can harmonize a bit. Where do, where sure. does Redfish take us? Well, the the end view is um, there is a lot of desire to say Redfish is our single management interface for the data center. So it's so while we came out uh, Redfish 1.0 back in 2015 as you know it's functionally equivalent to IPMI, so you get all the server functionality. The scope has been growing since then. Um, some of the more recent uh, additions have been. Um, uh, some of the data center infrastructure equipment, so uh, rack PDUs and other power distribution equipment. Uh, we've sent out work in progress uh, um, bundles for, you know, how do we model uh, the, uh, the data center cooling equipment. Um, 
Uh, we're still still trying to collect feedback on some of those things, but uh, some of the the DSIM equipment has been made as part of the standard, um, and I that's going to be continuing to grow over the next uh, year or two. Uh, the other the other view that we've been trying to uh, to do is uh, we wanted to start uh, encompassing uh, network equipment as part of mm. uh, as part of the data model, uh, and I know there's been a uh, there's been a lot of work done in, in groups like the IETF for uh, defining Yang models for you know, how do I represent my uh, network switches and network gear. Uh, one of the, the things that we've done is we've created some tooling to take those Yang modules and convert them to register schemas. So that way you get um, equivalent functionality as far as what's represented in the Yang models, but now they're uh, translated to, to the Redfish interface. That still hasn't come complete to fruition, but um, we do have some work in progress uh, published in that space. The other interesting area is um, is a concept that we've uh, standardized on recently called aggregation. We've talked about aggregation for years now where you might have a single application running on a server that is you know, behind the scenes, monitoring all of your data center equipment and providing that single pane of glass for, for management. And so what we've come out with recently is um, a way that you can control your aggregator through, through Redfish to say, um, here's my southbound data source for a, a server. So here's another Redfish instance. Here's an IPMI uh, system over here. Here's some proprietary interface that the aggregator might know how to support. And so the aggregator's job is to consolidate all that system information that's southbound and create a kind of a monolithic interface to manage your entire uh, uh, data center. So DMTF would design the APIs, what, what, what API would be expected out of the northbound interface from that perspective? So you're not defining the aggregator, you're defining a northbound yes. API effectively? Interesting. Exactly. Um, and, and so with the, the way we've structured Redfish today, uh, you notice most of everything you find off of the, the, the service route resources, a set of collections of the things that, that are um, managed by the, uh, by, the, by the Redfish service. So one example, you have your systems collection and that shows all the computer systems that the service uh, supports. Generally speaking, you will only find one member in that collection because you, know, you, you have a single server that is exposing Redfish, it's going to have a single computer system. An aggregator could have a thousand computer systems in that collection. And so the, the extensions we added were, how do we tell the aggregator where to find all those uh, systems? Interesting. I, so I could see an immediate need like from a blade frame, because I know there's a challenge in, you know, a, a blade or a, or a system like they're, we're building some systems, we, the industry, are building systems where there's like multiple computers on one motherboard, but they're still individual computers. And so you have an aggregator at the frame level or at the board level for that. What you're describing is more of a data center, a data center aggregator where you're pulling, pulling different things together. That's incredibly hard. Yep. Uh, you could structure it depending on how you want to uh, architect your aggregator. You could have, an aggregator that's solely responsible for aggregating a single rack, and then you could have an aggregator that aggregates all of your aggregators. It uh, really depends on what your constraints are at that point. Very hard problem. On the networking <laughs> side, the, the idea of having um, 
sort of a, a you know redfish style uh, control plane, it, it's when we've looked at network automation at the at the in operating system install. You know, networking systems have traditionally had very different models for how they're controlled than servers. Mm -hmm. They're really, you know, you flash firmware, it turns on. There's no real concept of a pixie boot or a, you know, running a, running an operating system in the same way at all. It's, it's you know, not installed on disk. It's always firmware. How do you rationalize the difference between network network systems and compute, or do you just say there's a new generation of networking switches that look more like servers? How, where, where does that fit in your head? Well, in, in that case, it doesn't even show up as a server. That would have its own uh, collection off a server to say, this is my networking equipment. And you, you, know, you don't mm -hmm. manage it like a server, you manage it like, a, you know, I have a box with switches in there potentially, and I, I need to treat it as a switch and not a server. Could be underneath the covers. There's an x86 that um, has a lot of I/O to it, and it implements a switch. But um, from a user perspective, they they really don't don't need to know about that aspect. They to them, it's it's a switch, and they need to manage it like a switch. Yeah, it's it's been what we've what we've seen in, in our experience with switch hardware, and there's a new generation of of systems coming out, like based on Sonic, that are more like a Linux unit. Switches are traditionally, um, you know, a lot of the things that you think of as being able to do with the switch, you don't, you don't do the firmware, it's just a unit. There's no moving parts per se. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're literally dropping in a full firmware image and that's the only operation you can do from a you know, patch perspective. So the control, the controls are sort of different. And then if you want to turn ports on or off, um, it's, you know, you're, you're using the, whatever the control language is for the switch. Uh, yep. And so in those cases, if, if people do come through Redfish to, to manage the switch that way to control ports on and off, you know, behind the scenes, the, the, the service will do whatever it needs to, to, uh, to, to make that happen. But at least from mm -hmm. a, a user perspective, you know, a port is a port. If I want to enable it, I, I patch a, the enable property to true. If I want to change some routing settings, I, I might need to change the way some uh, some relationships are described in the data model to say, you know, this port needs to be routed over to, to this other port. That's interesting. So you are really talking about using Redfish as a, because Redfish, I mean, at, at some level, Redfish is really just a wire spec. Um, yeah. And then uh, with, ex with extensions. And so you're saying you could model out all the ports, you could use the Redfish spec to allow somebody to, to see all the ports on a system and then start doing the configuration on a per port basis using the Redfish specification, using the API. Is that the exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing to keep in mind is that Redfish is really just that top level layer on, on, the, on the firmware to, to, for, the, uh, for the user to get that consistent look and feel across different implementations, ideally. Um, but underneath the covers, it, it can use whatever other uh, standards it needs to use to carry out that operation, whether it's, uh, you know, some proprietary I2C commands, uh, it could be uh, maybe some vendor had some USB interface to their component that they need to, uh, that they need to toggle, uh, could be other standards, uh, PMCI for, um, uh, for doing some uh, standard level, uh, uh, what is that standard? Uh, oh, it could be uh, the PLDM developed by the PMCI group for uh, managing different onboard components. Uh, it could be NVMe MI. So it, it really depends on what 
what the user is trying to do and how the system's architected. You have full alphabet soup. <laughs> that's, that's, I, and, and, and I think that that's something for people to keep in mind with, with what we're talking about, right? It's, it's super frustrating. And, and I know, cause we, we, this is what we do. We interface to a whole bunch of different stuff. And the idea that like you, you get a new box and you're like, all right, how did they implement, you know, their, their rest calls and their specs and their schemas. And, you know, the fact that it's wild west does, you know, only slows the integrations, right? It, you're not, you're not saying that all the switches and I, I like this, you're not saying the switches are going to look like servers magically. What you're saying is at least I know how to start the conversation and then you can discover what the conversations can be about because of the spec. And that's, that's really useful. Yep, that's that's what we're trying to do. So, what are the are there hurdles? Like, what, what could people do that would help move this forwards besides flipping the bits to turn on Redfish? Um, after you get that point, it's really a matter of understanding use cases that people are trying to uh, uh, trying to perform in their data center. So, I, I we get we we constantly get the well, I need to do the um, reboot, uh, firmware update. Uh, boot control operations, but if, if there are other things that people are used to doing through different interfaces, so um, I know one of the things uh, uh, I try doing it with a uh, uh, with a set of scripts I've written called uh, Tacklebox was, well, people like to be able to use the uh, the IPMyTool sensor list utility to dump all the sensor readings. And so uh, I created something uh, in Tacklebox to mimic kind of the output of uh, IP my tool sensor list is to uh, you know give a, a user an easy way to dump all their sensor readings through redfish um, it, it's that sort of uh, types of type of feedback is what we'd like to see as far as you know I'm, I'm using some other maybe it's proprietary maybe it's another standard and I need and I would like to transition to redfish but I don't quite know how to do that and Getting that that type of, of request would uh, at least, in my mind, it would it would uh, trigger us to go uh, talk about it internally. Maybe we create a white paper to to help people make that transition. Maybe we create an open source tool to uh, show how you could do it, um, and uh, that that would hopefully keep the the ball rolling. So, Mike, this is uh, Stephen again, and as I always say, the thirty minutes is up. Okay. And uh, <laughs> but I think we will a a little longer, but that's okay. I thought this was really good and interesting, and it it's just funny because you know, Rob, I always think about serverless, and so I, I assume like this all goes away in the world of serverless, right? Because there's no servers, and so I, I like to make fun of that, but there's no <laughs> laughing. I've done very poorly, Rob. Not good. <laughs> oh, I had that whole setup and it just fell. Mike, you killed me. So, um, Mike, it was, uh, it was we'll really great. The, the listeners will chuckle about it. On the, on the okay. Well, was, so, Mike, I think it was really good to have you on the podcast. You talk about something brand new for us, which is really exciting. Uh, hopefully our listeners like this. You know, we always try to go deeper into obscure topics. And not that this is obscure, but for somehow we all seem to just not think about it and just say, oh, it's not my problem. It's hardware. And, um, but, Mike, if people want to get a hold of you or, or follow more on the Redfish stuff, uh, where should they go? Uh, any advice for them? Um, specifically for Redfish, I would suggest um, the Redfish forum. It's, well, I guess to be clear, the, the group is called the Redfish Forum, but there's also a website called Redfish Forum. It's um, redfishforum.com. 
and it's just a public bulletin board forum asking questions getting feedback um, I'm I'm on there most days trying trying to answer questions I know Jeff Otter is as well we also uh, re we review the posts internally so that we, we make sure that everything tries to get answered in a time so Mike uh, thanks again for joining us today really appreciate you having having you on and taking some time to spend with Rob and myself and if you ever want to come back you are, are more than welcome and uh, for our listeners, we always talk about people that are first-time podcasters joining us. And Mike, this was his first time, did a great job. You would never know. So as Rob and I say, we are friendly people, even though, I don't know, Rob, do you think there's a reputation that we're mean or something? Or maybe that's just <laughs> in my own mind. But I, I think we are not. But thank you to uh, uh, both of you for a great conversation. And to our listeners, uh, you know, reach out to us, jump on. We're always looking for uh, new guests. Thanks, Mike. Great. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Mm -hmm.